0: Our text this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. And this is a story about Jesus healing a man who was deaf and who couldn't speak. And surely there are many stories like this in the Gospels. Jesus healed people everywhere he went. But this particular story is a little interesting, because only Mark records this particular interaction. Why did Mark deem this story important when the rest of the Gospel writers omitted it? What does this particular man who was healed teach us about Jesus? And how does this story fit with the prophecies preceding the life of Christ? In only seven verses, these questions are answered, so let's get into it. Once again, our text this morning is Mark 7:31 through 37. Would you please stand as you are able for the reading of God's holy word? Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. And his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This ends the reading of the Gospel text. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Thank you, God, with all our hearts that you provide such a record of the work of your son, Jesus. And we pray that you will give us the wisdom to understand all of the great things that he has done for us. As we examine this short text from the Gospel of Mark this morning, may you also give us ears to hear and to understand, just as Jesus gave hearing to this Gentile man and Decapolis in our story this morning. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Before we dig into our text this morning, I want to point out the strange journey that Jesus is on. As we read in the first few chapters of Mark, Jesus has left the traditional borders of Israel and heads to the city of Tyre, which is modern day Lebanon. And he continues to move, but in such a way that confuses even those of us who have little geographical inclination. Jesus leaves Tyre, and he travels north to Sidon, and then he heads east, and then he heads back south, and then back up to the Sea of Galilee. I can see that most of you don't have a map in front of you this morning, that's fine, but you just heard the directions in which Jesus was traveling, um, and if you miss it, let me just recap. From Israel, Jesus went north to Tyre, further north to Sidon, then he heads south, then he heads. East, I think, is the direction for you guys. And then south to the southern shore of the Sea of Galilee to the region of Decapolis, where our story this morning takes place. That's a lot of different directions. Keep in mind, too, that Jesus isn't driving a car on this journey. He's walking in sandals in the dust with his disciples in tow. Imagine their frustration with this particular itinerary. And the natural question would be, why? Why would he choose this route? This seems more like Israel wandering in the desert than a sensible route for Jesus. Well, the answer is actually really simple. We don't know. (laughs) But nevertheless, Jesus knew why he chose this route, and that has to be good enough for us. Here in our text, Jesus arrives at the region of Decapolis and is presented with a man who the text says is deaf and had a speech impediment. Now we don't really know anything about this man. There's no background information. Was he deaf at birth? Or did something happen during the course of his life that made him deaf? The translation also waters down this man's condition. He is certainly deaf, but the speech impediment or the word speech impediment, is putting his speaking condition a little lightly. The Greek word used in this text for speech impediment is mojilalos. And this particular word is only used twice in all of Scripture, and just once in the New Testament. And a more accurate translation of the word mojilalos would render a meaning of essentially mute, This man's speech is so garbled that he is beyond comprehension, which is understandable since hearing plays such a prominent role in speech. Essentially, this man is deaf and mute. The only other time Moji Lawless is used comes in the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 5 through 6. Earlier this morning, we read from the text from Isaiah 34, 8 through 17, that was a pretty rough passage, wasn't it? Yeah. In this passage, Isaiah is delivering grim words to Israel. Words not of hope, as we could tell, but rather a message of impending doom. That the judgment of God was in coming. And the people were going to endure a period of severe desolation. This is a dark picture being painted by Isaiah in this passage. It almost sounds like something from the mind of Edgar Allan Poe. But this is a culmination of the destruction that God had planned for Israel, and the future seems bleak. But when God gives a pronouncement of judgment, it's usually followed by hope, because God promises never to abandon his people, And that, this morning, leads us to Isaiah chapter 35. Be reading verses 1 through 7 or 8. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. What a contrast. Despite all their shortcomings, God still promises Israel that salvation is for them and that he will use Israel to bring salvation to the entire world. And here we reach the climax of this passage picking up in verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute there's Moji Lalos right there. Sing for joy, for the waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunts of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. What a difference. Centuries before God sent Jesus to redeem the fallen world, he gave this message to his people through the prophet Isaiah. He looked past the desolation and the destruction, past the abundant sin of the world and in Israel specifically to the future when his kingdom would break through. When he would send his son to the world to strengthen to weak, the weak, to bring sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and to loosen the tongues of the mute, the lame would leap for joy. Surely, Mark has this in mind as he records this particular story in our text this morning. And while I assume everyone listening this morning can still hear, at least to some extent, can we relate to this feeling? Do we sometimes see the world or our lives as depicted in Isaiah 34? Can we, at times, forget about the good news, the news of hope, the news of salvation? I know I can. I get caught up in the struggles of of life right now, and unless I'm careful, I have a tendency to focus on the hard things that I'm facing in the moment. But there is hope, because Jesus has brought salvation to the world, and it's for everyone. And as spoken by the prophet Isaiah so many years ago, Jesus opens our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and loosens our tongues to speak and proclaim his coming glory to the world. And there is no better news than that. And what better way to illustrate this hope amidst the desolation than with this story of a deaf man. In my humble opinion, one's hearing is the very most important of the five senses. I would rather lose my sense of sight, taste, smell, or touch if it meant that I could still hear. How isolating life would be without the ability to communicate. My grandfather is in his mid-90s and over the course of his life working construction and around heavy machinery in the army, uh, without ear protection, of course, he has all but lost his hearing. I spent a large chunk of my childhood at his house, and I have wonderful memories of my grandfather. We played make-believe as we pretended to roast mini marshmallows over a campfire of Lincoln logs on the living room carpet right before I took a nap. We watched countless baseball games together, and I know that much of my passion and agony of being a Mariners fan comes from my time spent with him. But as I got older, and gradually, his hearing got worse, and communicating got more difficult. I can't imagine how difficult it must be to sit in the living room, surrounded by your family, with everyone telling stories and laughing and reminiscing while sitting in the chair in the corner and not understanding a word of it. How isolating, how depressing, and how difficult it must be to see the hope in that. This is the reality that the man in our story this morning faces. He had been unable to verbally communicate with anyone for an undefined amount of time, but long enough to where he couldn't speak either. Facing that darkness of isolation alone. But Jesus has come to town. And listen to the sense of urgency here in verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Jesus's reputation precedes him. These men rush this man, presumably their friend, right to Jesus, asking him to lay his hand upon him. While they don't explicitly ask for it, clearly they're hoping that Jesus will heal this man. And they are not only hoping, they are begging Jesus to heal this man. As it says in the text, for this man cannot appeal on his own behalf. I want you to notice that there is no mention here of any doubt on behalf of these men. You don't hear them ask, Jesus, can you heal him? No, no, they have perfect faith that Jesus is up to the task and Jesus grants their request. The text tells us that Jesus took him aside from the crowd. In Mark we read of a few instances where Jesus is secretive about his ministry and one possible explanation for this is Jesus' political awareness. Often when he pulls someone aside and charges the person not to tell anyone what happened, it's because the rulers would not take kindly to it. And making enemies of the rulers would severely impact Jesus' future ministry. So Jesus pulled him aside, and he privately put his fingers to the man's ears, and he spit, and he touched the man's tongue. To be clear, this also seems a bit strange. In Jewish tradition, this would be an appalling misstep, because spit is considered an unclean fluid. One possible explanation is based on tradition, You see, often in these times, healers within the community would use spit as sort of of a medium in order to communicate their healing power to the people whom they were trying to heal. It could be that Jesus simply did this because it would make the man to whom he was bestowing the miracle more comfortable and more at ease. Another explanation is far more symbolic. Here we read Jesus is using fluid from his own body to heal this person and restore this person. Maybe foreshadowing to when he would later die on the cross using his own blood to restore our bodies in heaven. Either could be true. The only way to know for sure would be to ask Jesus himself. So continuing on, he pulled him aside. He touched his ears to his tongue. And in verse 34 scripture says, Jesus looked up to heaven and he sighed and commanded the ears or commanded the man's ears to be open and his voice to become clear and immediately the man is healed Jesus looked up to heaven and he sighed this seems to be a fairly trivial detail at first but this is really important this is Jesus here in communion with the father He is appealing to the Father to intervene and heal this man through him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, this man can hear. Is that not true for you and for me? Are we able to hear and understand the word of God without the Holy Spirit intervening? Are we able to share the gospel without the Holy Spirit loosening our tongues? No, we're not. And in that sense, we are exactly like the man in our story today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, my wife and I moved from Seattle to Sydney, Montana, back in January of this year, which means I've been an associate pastor for almost 10 months. That accounts for less than 20% of my time in ministry. And in the past four months, I have more than doubled the number of sermons I've ever preached in my life. And I want to admit something to you this morning. I know you don't know me very well, but I want to admit this. I struggle writing sermons. If you ever have the privilege of meeting my wife, she can attest. She knows that the week leading up to one of my sermons, I will be in the office far longer than usual. She knows that I will be exhausted. And that occasionally she might need to make dinner plans on her own. On weekends that I preach, I usually arrive at my office early and say late into the night, But I don't want you to hear this as bragging about how pious or how studious I am. No, no, brothers and sisters, this is a confession. See, every time I go to write a sermon, I study the text. I listen to a sermon or two on the text. I read commentaries. I I write an outline. I ponder what direction I want to take the test text, I come up with a few illustrations that might fit with the text. I, 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 I try to do it all on my own. And without fail, there comes a point when all I see is a blank page on a computer screen in front of me. And though the page is white, all I can see is darkness. At that point, the world looks to me like the prophet Isaiah portrayed it in chapter 34 that we read earlier. It is bleak. There is no hope, and it's at that point that I remember the most important step in the preparation, a step that I have a shameful tendency of skipping time after time. I can't tell you how many times on a Saturday night when the darkness is closing in, both literally and figuratively, that I have stood up from my chair and I've walked into the sanctuary and I have sat down at the pew In the front row, I have prayed that the Holy Spirit would intervene. That's what you're supposed to do first, by the way. Just like this man in our story, without the Holy Spirit, I could try to preach the greatest sermon the world has ever heard. And none of you would understand a word of it. It wouldn't make any sense. Just like this man in our story, I am helpless. And I am hopeless without God's intervention. We are helpless, and we are hopeless without God's intervention through the Holy Spirit and without Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Quoting R.C. Sproul, Before the Holy Spirit opens us to the things of God, we are as deaf to the word of God as this poor man was deaf to all verbal communication. And until the Holy Spirit cleanses our hearts And regenerates our soul. What we have in our mouths is mere filth. The poison of asps is under our lips. And our tongue is used to utter blasphemy and poison it until it is made free from the chains of sin. Back to our text in Mark, picking up in verse 35. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Not only did the man speak, but he spoke plainly. He spoke clearly so that everyone could understand him. And that's exactly what he did. Because though Jesus charged him not to tell anyone, which, again, was likely to avoid being simply seen as a miracle worker or healer, this formerly deaf man, formerly deaf man, and the people who brought him to Jesus, the people who knew the miracle that had happened, They just couldn't help themselves. That is a beautiful depiction of the power of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? God's power and God's love and God's mercy is so strong that through the Holy Spirit, not only can we understand the Scriptures and comprehend who God created us to be and what Jesus did for us on the cross, but we can't help but share that news with others. All around us we see hurting. We see brokenness. We experience our earthly bodies failing us. And we watch it happen to our loved ones as well. The future sometimes feels dark and daunting. And yet... Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can continue to hear the word of God and to understand it. We experience the unrivaled joy and the hope given to us through Jesus Christ, and that is a joy and a hope that we can't help but share with those around us, regardless of who tells us to stop. One day, hopefully soon, Jesus will come and he will restore us back to perfection. The lame will walk, the blind will see, the mute will speak, and the deaf will hear. And I'll tell you, I cannot wait for the day to come when I see Papa sitting in the chair gazing out the window and I greet him from the stairwell and he smiles, smiles to this day that still lights up a room. And for the first time in years, he immediately greets me back. And I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I'd like to think that we'd be able to sit down together and roast mini marshmallows over a campfire of Lincoln logs, just like old times. I know he's looking forward to it. Thanks be to the Holy Spirit for opening our ears and loosening our tongues. Thanks be to Christ for giving us a future worth hearing about and worth sharing with others. And thanks be to God for giving us unquenchable hope in a brighter day ahead. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us, both on the cross and with your teaching. May we, just like this man you healed so many years ago, be filled with the hope and the joy that can only come from you. And may you strengthen us to share that good news with those around us. May you be glorified by the remainder of this service. Amen.